Welcome to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. How's it going, Greg? Oh, you know, I heard the uh, theme song going and it just got me in this great mood. And, and I just realized that whenever you play that theme song before the show starts, I do the same dance. It's kind of weird. I didn't know I was doing the same dance, but I was actually looking at myself and I'm going, oh my gosh, you got to learn some new moves because that's the same move. Got to start new. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. You, 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 do the, you do the same dance every time. Yeah, I, it's, I, almost, it's almost, I, I think I'm going to name that move the Muppet because I feel like mu- I'm a Muppet just kind of bouncing around in my seat in front of my microphone. I think, you know, oh, well. <laughs> Next show, Russ, I'm going to have something different for you. Nice. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. We got to, we got to, you know, we got to change it up every once in a while. Um, Today, uh, this show is like, it's like a part two of of a previous show because we're continuing a discussion on leadership with uh, somebody that we've actually become to like know and and talk to on a regular basis now. Uh, He's written a couple of books on leadership and the thing that I think is the coolest thing in the world is he led a nuclear sub. And today, John, <laughs> I, I got to I gotta talk to you a little about that. We're talking with John S. Reaney, by the way. <laughs> uh, he hosts another podcast. John, thank you. Thank you for joining us again. Hey, it's great to be back, guys. So you host the podcast Deep Leadership, and that name comes from being on a nuclear sub. And at last time we had you on, I didn't get to ask too many questions about the sub, but we're, we're going to get to that at some point in this because that's just so cool. <laughs> hey, I'm ha- happy to talk about that. Yeah. So yeah, the deep leadership just comes from the fact that uh, we I spent, you know, two years of my life as a young leader just out of uh, college uh, under the ocean leading like people, leading a crew uh, at sea. So um, yeah, so deep leadership is a, an appropriate name for my uh, podcast. No, I think it's a perfect name. And 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 why it's also a perfect name is when I listen to your show, and let, let me also add, Russ, that Deep Leadership is now part of the Best Business Network, which we're especially proud to have John and the Deep Leadership show on the, uh, the Best Business Network. But why Deep Leadership is so perfect is you really go deep into the topic of leadership. It's like Russ and I, we talk about a lot of different types of business aspects, right? Whether it's leadership or sales or marketing, you, you name it. We got to get into a lot of different subjects. But you dive into leadership on a very deep level. And just recently, you had one of the legends when it comes to leadership, Ken Blanchard, on your show. And I just wanted to have you share what that experience was like for you. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. They say, you know, you should never meet your heroes, you know, because they'll disappoint <laughs> you. Well, I got a chance to meet one of my heroes on this show uh, on the on the Deep Leadership Podcast. And um, it was really, really amazing. Um, he was everything I'd hoped he would be. Um, you know, this this is a this is the guy who's written 65 books. He is one of his books, The One Minute Manager, sold 23 million copies. Amazon rated him as a top five uh you know, leadership author ever on their platform. So he's had a lot of success as a writer. But one of the things I noticed, you know, when you look through his history of all of his books is that he's always written with another person. And it's because Mm -hmm. he says, I've got great ideas, but I want 
to bring these other ideas into my books. And and his latest book that's out, uh, he did that. And so he is, his co-author, Randy, Randy Conley, was also on the show. But just a remarkable man, remarkable uh, contribution to the world of leadership, and just as humble as can be. He teaches servant leadership. He is a servant leader. And that was so great to see. Very... Uh, low pretenses, just wanted to talk, wanted to share his knowledge. And um, it, you would have thought I was interviewing a friend. It wasn't uh, someone nice. with his notoriety. That's yeah. that's really it's, cool. And then and, uh, his new book that uh, he was talking about, The Simple Truths, was really cool how he breaks it down and makes some of the concepts that people are having a difficult time really grasping yeah. and executing, he made it really easy for people. That's one thing I like about this book. Uh, it's The Simple Truths of Leadership. It's 52 Ways to Be a Servant Leader and Build Trust. And basically, it's, it's 52 you know lessons that he calls common sense. These are common sense lessons that when you read them, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But his, his not frustration, but his, his concern is that all these common sense principles are not being commonly applied. They're not common practice today in leadership. So the point of this book is to have one idea, potentially one idea a week for 52 weeks that you could read through and really grasp, understand, and and put it into practice. And his co-author, Randy Conley, is really, he writes about trust and the importance of trust in leadership. And um, and then Ken Blanchard covers the, the servant leadership part of it and bringing those two together. It's a really powerful book. And it's not that, you know, I've got it in my hand. I had an advanced copy and it was... Um, it's like 160 pages, easy to read, and it's just so full of wisdom. It's you know, it's almost like uh, the icing on the cake of a very long career writing about leadership. This is the, you know, this is the pinnacle book, and it's something that you can anyone can read really quickly. You give it to the leaders. You you promote somebody. Give them this book. Let them read it. Let them understand all these decades of wisdom that uh, Ken and Randy bring into this book. Wonderful book. Wonderful guys to have on the show, uh, and just great to learn from from the master, if you will. Just to sit at the feet of a master and just ask questions. Wonderful experience. John, I feel like you're you're, you're being that that fanboy now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so true. Like, how do you not be a fanboy when you interview someone that like yeah. like that you've looked up to for for decades? You know, right. so. You know, it's it's as a host. You know, uh, we, you know, every once in a while, I get a chance to meet a hero. And how do you turn off fanboy and become host? Right? Yeah. It's, it's hard to do. But uh, I would say, in the beginning before we press record, I was doing a lot of fanboying. So. <laughs> I bet you were, yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard. You know, I, so I worked in in radio for years, right? And I I would meet various celebrities, and it was hard at first because I was thinking, oh my god, this 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 is a celebrity. They're 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 this symbol mm. of greatness, right? Like, you know, like I remember uh, we did a party uh, for, uh, uh, it was like a kind of a pop music station that I was working for. And it was a party for Celine Dion, a backstage oh, party. Wow. And it happened to be on her birthday. So we got oh, a birthday wow. cake for her. We did the whole deal. We had her album cover on the cake. And she went through and she met and shook hands with every single person in the room and spent a little time with every single person that we had brought into this backstage party for. And I'm like, wow, this, this, this is pretty cool. And she was such just an average like person that you would meet on the street. And then I, mm -hmm. I sort of, as I would meet these people, it, it like, it, it came to me of like, okay, well, 
they're just average people. They're just like me, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they put their pants yeah. one leg on, at, at a time. They, uh, uh, you know, I mean, maybe some of them have people that, that they're paying to put their <laughs> pants on for them, but, um, you know, meeting these people, it's like, they're just average, it's average folks. And that lesson, uh, I'm bringing it around to business here, helped me in doing presentations with people or meeting, mm-hmm. you know, other, you know, business owners and, and people that I needed to make deals with or negotiate with. It made me feel like, you know what, we're, we're all on the same playing field, really, when it when it's in in life. Right. We're, we're, we all deal with the same problems. We all deal with these different things. And it was like that that experience of 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 me being a, a, a fanboy of all these various people that I would meet. Really, I, I took that in, in that direction in, in running my business. Yeah, I think it's a great approach. I mean, uh, yeah. And, and it really helps you to just be in the moment and not think about you know, the, the importance of that person or the, the impact that this discussion might have on your career. It's best to just, you know, treat people like people, right? Just treat yeah. them with respect, with kindness, uh, be genuinely interested in their side of the story or their, you know, a lot of times people get into conversations and they're always me, 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 look at me, look at me. Right. Uh, but what about turning around? Just It's better when you take that position where you, you're curious about them and you ask them questions. And, and, um, and I think, they see you differently, like, oh, he's genuinely curious about me as a person, not he's not, you know, overexcited about the fact that of my you know, I have fame or what have you, or yeah. you know, and, or what this person can do for my career. They just treat you as a person. And uh, I remember I was uh, on the submarine on the USS Tennessee. We used to have, uh, you know, radio, uh, country music uh, stars would come out because we were the USS Tennessee in Nashville and Tennessee. Oh, so country okay. <laughs> artists would come out occasionally. And I remember uh, Lee Greenwood was on the boat one one time, and Lee Greenwood, you know, God bless the USA type of thing, yeah, right? Big star. And uh, yeah, so we uh, we were on the surface, and I had the watch, and uh, I was, uh, you know, six hours. We we're steaming out to our dive point, and he just came up to the bridge, and we just sat and talked. I mean, for six hours, me and Lee nice. Greenwood. Who who'd have thought? Yeah, you know? right. and it was just the coolest experience. And but he's just an average guy, you know, just yeah. a regular guy. And and I was curious about the music business. I don't know anything about the music music business, and and I didn't, you know, I just was, you know, just having a genuine, you know, co- normal face to face human connection. And uh, and I wasn't. Can you sign this or can right. I get this or <laughs> right. whatever? Just have a conversation. Get yeah, them, I always you know? felt weird about that when I would meet these celebrities. Like you know, I've got this long list of celebrities that I met when in working in radio. Like all these random people coming in, and I don't have any photos. I don't have uh, any autographs uh, except for for one, uh, Marsha Brady. I, I had to had to go there. For oh, that one well, come on, right? Marsha, I mean, Marsha, Marsha. Exactly. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. We all have we all have our Marsha quotes. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I do have one quick story about a, a star that I met, and it just goes to the level of everybody's just normal people. So I got invited to this private party at the Hearst Castle. Okay, so oh, most people kind of know the Hearst Castle, and one of the iconic oh, yeah. features is the swimming pool there. So I got invited to this party, and, I, and then they said, yeah, if you want to bring your swim shorts, you're welcome to go in. Anybody can kind of jump in the pool. I and mean, very few people actually wanted to go into the pool, but I said, heck. What kind of, you know, how many times are you ever going to get a chance to swim in, in the Hearst Castle? So I said, all right, I'm jumping in. So I jumped in, and then all of a sudden, a couple of people started kind of coming up next to me, and I look over, and it's Rob Lowe, the actor Rob yeah. Lowe, right? <laughs> <laughs> and earlier that day, we, we kind of did a little bike race together and stuff like that, and we were kind of talking about it. And all of a sudden, I'm not quite sure how it started. 
but we started doing a you know a splash fight. We started splashing each other and stuff like that in the Hearst Castle pool. And I'm going, this is the most normal weird thing at the same time going on. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> like a guy right. that I remember from The Outsiders and all the different movies that he's in. He's oh, now yeah. splashing me on my face in the pool. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, wow. I, I mean, I, I think the 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 business lesson there is, you know, it's hey, you know, people are people, right? And and yeah. when you're hiring people too, that's something to think about. And when you're leading people, it's something to think about. Um, we got to do the the short little break here, but when we come back, we'll we'll talk more with John about leadership, and uh, I want to ask about hiring new team members and how do you bring those into your family that you're working with. We'll talk about that next. Thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg and John. Usually I don't bring the guest in as like, you know, part of the little like, you know, thing there, right? But I feel like, John, we know you so well now. That I, I, gotta, I gotta bring you into the banter that we do. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I feel like an adopted brother. Exactly. And okay. So that brings me to my question. Now we did, I listened to our first show and if you, if you haven't, if you're listening to this one and you haven't listened to the other one, it's, it's not a prerequisite of this. You can go listen to it after, but make sure you do listen to um, uh, our podcast with John earlier when we talked about leadership. I'll put a link to that in the description and also to his podcast. As we mentioned earlier, Greg and I are sort of like generalists on this podcast, right? Like we talk and, uh, about a bunch of different things with John, he is going deep into leadership, quite literally with the show, Deep Leadership. So uh, if you are interested in that topic and as a business owner or as a business professional, you should be. Uh, so definitely do go check out that show. That is linked in the description as well. Um, but John, we, we talked in the first show about essentially uh, creating a family, right? Like getting that family feel within the, the team that you're working with. Because Really, you know, that's what you are. You're spending 40 hours plus a week with these people. <laughs> and it's like sometimes you're spending more time with your your work family than your home family as you're going through projects and whatnot. The question that I had after listening to that podcast was how do you how do you, John, bring in people into that family when you're hiring new team members. Yeah, it's really important. You know, as you know, I, I own my own business. I have a manufacturing business called Peak Demand. And so not only do I talk about leadership, I practice leadership every day. Um, and so we have a small business and we, you know, and we have we have a tight knit group of people that have been, you know, a lot of us have been there since the beginning, since we formed the company six years ago. And so that's a big concern of mine is we bring on new employees is that do they fit within the team? Are they going to be a contributor to the team? Are they going to be part of the family? And and it's and it's unlike a real family where, you know, you're kind of stuck with the people that, you know, are your uncles and your cousins and <laughs> the ones that are we, you know are politics at yeah. Thanksgiving, right? So you're stuck <laughs> with those people. You're not necessarily stuck with people that you hire, but in a way you are, right? So I think it's really important that um you do um try to find people that are going to, you know, A, contribute something really unique, especially in a small business, something really unique that you don't have as a skill set already in the company, right? So add in like a specialist or something that has some skills that you don't have. But then the second thing is how are they going to fit in with the existing, you know, culture and family that you have within the organization? And the other thing I would say this is, 
is I really do listen to my employees when they say, hey, I really like working with Todd or, hey, you know, we've got some concerns about the way Todd is. He kind of takes shortcuts. He doesn't do the way we do things, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so I'm really attentive to is that new employee fitting in well with the family once we bring somebody on? So, so in a small company, I always liken it to like a Navy SEAL team. And if you know anything about the Navy SEAL teams, like everyone is a is a specialist, right? So you might have a sniper, you might have a language guy, you might have a explosive person. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're all skilled in in um, they're generalists, but they're also specialists. So in certain parts of the mission, the 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 specialists take over the mission. Like, okay, we're going to put the bomb here. We're going to blow up this bridge or whatever. So the ordinance guy is the guy, you know, where we're talking with some locals, then you got the language guy or what have you. In a small business, it's a lot like that. You've got to have generalists, like you're all good at business, but you've got to have your specialists. You got to make sure your specialists have that skill set that where they can step up um, when, you know, at their time in the project. And in in our small business, we, we've built that generalist with with all with different unique skill sets as specialists. So part of it is, do they fit into the group where their skill set really helps add value to the team? And then do they get along? Do they work with the people on the team? And I would say this is that we haven't always been good at it. We've, we've made some mistakes in our hiring and uh, people haven't fit. And so we've had to let them go. But I think one of the ones, one of the areas we found to be the best way to do it, and this might sound funny, is that we call it the friends and family plan. It's who do you know when we're looking for a, for a role? I ask my employees, who do you know that has this skill set that might be interested in coming onto our team? Then you already have one employee that's saying, "Hey, this is a this is a good person. I know I know them from church. I know them from hockey. I know them from whatever." And I think they would fit in well with our company. So you get one person already saying, hey, this is a good person. So the friends and family plan for us has been one of the better ways we've hired in the past few years. And, and that's uh, don't don't look past the friends and family plan, as I would say. Yeah, no, that's really cool. You know, it's funny. We just uh, did a hiring actually about my company back in November. And I brought on a few new employees. And it just so happened that the first day that they started, we were having a company meeting. We do once a month, we have a company meeting where everybody is attends. And because it was November, we decided to do a Thanksgiving theme for, for that month. And we went around kind of the room and everybody was saying what they were thankful for. One thing, personal okay. life, one thing about the business that they, they were thankful for. And then when we got around to, you know, the people that were new, you know, they, they didn't really have any business thing, but they said the personal thing. And what it did is it really created a bond for those mm. new employees where they felt, oh my gosh, I'm in an environment now where everybody's really thankful for what they have within the company. And we're able to kind of share on a personal level as well, too. And it, it was kind of by accident, but that onboarding um exercise for the for that group is something that I want to recreate somehow for future, uh, you know, onboarding, because it started that, uh, it started that group of employees on such a high note. After the meeting was over, they all individually came to me and go, I found a home. This is where I want to work at. This, I'm I'm really glad that I'm working here now. And this is on the first day of of work. And, And how often do you actually have that experience happen? So it was by accident, but 
man, if I can recreate that on new hiring classes in the future, it doesn't have to always be November, right? We have to figure out how to build <laughs> that trust and yeah, cool. that yeah. bond really quickly. Um, and, you know, they're, they're doing really well. They got off to a great start. How, how did that do? Did you see higher retention with that team because of that? They're all still with us. Nice. They're all still nice. with us. So um, I do think, you know, starting off on that level of trust within the company and the management, because a lot of the people, when they said what they were thankful for, they were just, you know, saying thankful for, I like the freedom, the autonomy, the trust that management provides me. And I think going to what John talks about all the time, it's that leadership style that they really appreciated and it's a good fit yeah. for them. Yeah, that's nice. I, I brought up Marsha Brady earlier. I'm gonna bring up. I'm gonna bring up the Brady Bunch again, right? So bringing in somebody new can sometimes be like the Oliver, right? For those Brady fans out there, bringing on this new uh, member of the cast that doesn't quite work out. What do you guys do when you bring somebody on and they're the Oliver? They're the person that's kind of like, you know, breaking things, making things not work out. Well, first of all, you can't hire anybody with that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 weird seventies uh, <laughs> bowl haircut. Yeah, yeah, that's first step. <laughs> what do you think, John? What do you think in, in the interview process? How do you kind of find the right fits? Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, you know, I'm doing this for a long time. It's I don't think there's a. I, will, I like to say I'm I'm I I do better at it than than I you know I, I have more success than failures. But truth of the matter is probably about it's probably 60% good and 40% bad. So it's hard to find everything mm -hmm. in the interview process. I mean, I do my best to try to uncover um, like stories. I want them to tell me stories of where they've succeeded or where they've failed or where they've been frustrated with a boss or, uh, you know, things, you know, I always look for the things that they've, what have you, what have you done in your life that was really hard that you didn't think you could do it. And they took perseverance to it. I want them to tell me stories and I try to learn about them through the stories. But even when you do, sometimes you, you make a mistake and you hire the wrong person and they don't fit within the organization and, and they can't make, like I had an employee, they couldn't make the transition to a small company. They came from a big company. We're a small company. They kept wanting to do big company things in my little company. And um, as a result, the, the, the basic stuff wasn't getting done because, you know, this, this individual was trying to build an empire. This, you know, I don't need that. I just need the numbers for last, last week, you know? And so, <laughs> Um, he was, so I liken it to a puzzle, you know? Um, and so he was the puzzle piece I thought was going to fit. And, and it turned out he didn't fit within our puzzle. Right. As it turned out, I had to let him go and he ended up fitting a perfect, he, he was a puzzle piece for not my puzzle. He was a puzzle piece for a different puzzle and he fit perfectly. And he's been extremely successful since he left our company because he fit really well into someone else's puzzle. And sometimes we have people that just don't fit in with our puzzle, you know, yeah. and whether it's personality or whether it's skill set. Um, but it, and, and some of the best things that we can do for them is let them go find their right puzzle and support them in that effort. But, you know, um, when, when you have a small company, especially you just have one big puzzle, you know, hole that you got to fill. And if it doesn't <laughs> yeah. fit, you got to go find someone else. <laughs> this is, you know, 20% of your workforce or whatever, or 10% right. of your workforce in that person, you know, so it's got to fit. I remember that was a lesson that I learned early on. Um, one of my one of my first roles um, in in radio, actually, um, on a on a marketing team. The entire 
team was laid off and I, I was an intern at the time. And wow. so I actually, as an intern, had the most amount of experience. So they <laughs> hired me on and, wow. and, you know, on the team. Now, the person that hired me was was brand new in the position. And she she had told me that, and this was really early on. This might have even been during the interview. I, I, I don't recall exactly, but it was really early on. She said, OK, well, the general manager here has actually fired me twice in the past. <laughs> Wait, what? Wow, and he's bringing you back for this. He's like, yeah, because I wasn't right for those roles, and I don't blame him at all for firing me. And this is a role he he hired me for this role because he knew me and who I was in those other roles. And I, I you know, kind of like your puzzle piece. She was a good fit for that particular puzzle, but not for those other puzzles where she had been let go in the past by that same person. So it, yeah. it's it's yeah. funny, you know, like that. That was one of my first lessons in business. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's, you might not always be the right fit for that particular time. Yeah, yeah it, it's really important. And the other thing I would say too is like if you if you're thinking of your family, right? If you have, if you brought someone in your family, like you brought a dog in, and the dog is you know making your daughter, you know, she's got allergies and she's sneezing all the time. You've got to take care of your family. You've got to get mm -hmm. rid of the dog. The dog just didn't work out, right? Yeah. You know, you, you you probably brought the wrong person in. So I always think of you know people say, well, I don't like firing people. Well, firing is definitely hard to do. And I don't like to do it, but, but really I look at it more of as I'm taking care of my family and this, this isn't a good fit for my family. My family's frustrated with this employee. How do I, you know, I've got to do something to, for them. Not so much. Yeah. It's not good for that person, but I'm doing it for the best interest of, of my team that it's not working out. And the longer we delay as leaders doing that, yeah. the more we look as not caring about them because we're not taking care of their needs. Right. And I think that's both ways too. That's also about that particular person, right? Like the person that you yeah. are letting go. And many times it's better for their career as well to let them go, to know that yeah. they're, you know what, this isn't the right path for you. Right. Exactly. I wonder how many families would be better off if you could fire Uncle Joe that's, you know, drinks too much at Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanksgiving Uncle is going to be a lot less awkward We don't want to hear about the flat sure. earth anymore. We're tired of it. Would you just pass the cranberry yeah, sauce? Yeah, the cranberry, please. No. Uh, I have a question about hiring, but it looks like we need to take a quick break. So when we come back, I want to ask, uh, you know, John, a quick question about what he looks for in a hire, not only the fit for the puzzle, but something else that I think will be uh, uh, appropriate for this conversation. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to DIY for Business with Russ and Greg. We're proud to be on the best business network heard on Electrocast Media. And we're interviewing John Rennie. And before the break, I said I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, the hiring process. And I'm just curious because you do a deep leadership podcast. How much does leadership factor into what you're looking for in all your hires? Not just your management, but any role within your organization. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think... I think people don't realize, but there's leaders around us where, you know, when you talk to people and you get to know them, what do, what do you do outside of work? What are your hobbies? What do you, what do you do? You find everyone's, almost everyone has got some sort of leadership capacity outside of work, right? They have, they're a Sunday school teacher or they're a Boy Scout troop leader, or they're, they're a coach of a little league baseball team. 
and you, you know, the, there's leaders uh, all around us. So I think for part of what I look for is someone that has had some, you know, they've done some leadership outside of uh, work. That's important to me. I think the um, the one thing I really do uh, like more than anything, and I look for, uh, is um, not so much just the leadership side, which is good, but I really want to look for. Tell me a story uh, where you had to overcome something really difficult. I want. I look for grit. Grit is something that I, I is really important to me for me, especially in a small business, to find people that. Uh, you know, give me stories of how you persevered through some difficult situations. So I want to find that uh, the, the, the guy that did, you know, two tours in, in Iraq. I want to find the, the, the lady that put herself through college, working full time and then worked through the evenings to put herself through college. I want stories of perseverance because those are the people that are not going to give up when things get tough. And in a small business, hey, guess what? It's going to get tough, right? And if, if 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 it's always sunshine and roses, then I don't know what business you're in, but I want to sign up for it because <laughs> it's not in my business. You know, we have we have we have great days and we have rough days, and I mm. and I want people that are going to have grit and have that the ability to persevere when things get tough. Yeah, and that it's it's so hard to figure out who that person is going to be, you know, in the in the interview process. Even talking with, you know, people that they've worked with in the past, like it's it's a tough one. It's it's not an easy thing to get right. Yeah, I mean, some people can be really good communicators and tell a good story. But then when it gets down to it, when, you know, the the tough, you know, the starting to happen is like, can you persevere? You know, are you willing to fight yeah. through? And, you know, it's it's as good as we can be as interviewers. Sometimes you just can't figure that part out. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I used to... I, there was a point in my career I was I was probably nailing it. Probably ninety percent of my hires were good, and then I thought, "Oh, I'm a great interviewer." And then over the you know I've been doing this for thirty years. My my average went down over time. So I don't know if I don't know if my judgment lapsed or just the fact that you you know the reality set in that that it isn't a hundred percent game when you're doing interviews. It's you're you're going to get things wrong. You're going to like you said, people look great on paper. You bring them in and they're just they're toxic and they can't, you know, they've, you know, they don't get along with other people. Everything has to be their way. And, and, and you're like, well, how did I miss that in the interview? You know? And, and that's a, that's a frustrating thing. Uh, you know, and again, we, we've got to be quick, quick to act when things don't work out, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously I always tell people I'm a four strikes and you're out kind of person, right? I'm going to give people opportunities to turn it around. But at the end of the day, if we don't make the right decision for the rest of our employees, then we look weak as a leader because we're not addressing a problem on the team. It's nice that we're talking about this. You know, it's nice that we're actually saying all of these things because it's, for me, refreshing to hear other people talk about that as well and, and, and know that they're going through those same problems because hiring is is tough. Figuring out who is right and is it going to be a good fit? And, and many times it, it could be they could be on your team for months before you realize if they're a good fit or not. What about hiring for the, the management role? Like a, a role where you're pulling somebody that is not in your company and, and positioning them as a leader in your company. Have, have you had to do that, John? And, and, and how has that gone? I have had to do that. And um, say mixed, mixed results as well. So 
You know, I would say this is when I look, when I have a leadership team, like I've ran, I've run a lot of manufacturing businesses. So, you know, uh, eight manufacturing businesses in, when I worked in corporate and in a manufacturing business, you sort of have a general manager. I was that general manager and I had department heads, you know, that would work yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. And so those were leaders. Um, and I always like to have a good mix of people that came up from, you know, the ground up in the organization, have a lot of experience in the business and then people from the outside. And the reason being is, is that, you had a diversity of opinions, right? People, you had some fresh ideas from, come from the outside and then you had ideas um, for people that have been there a long time. And having that diversity of thought on a management team was really important to me. Uh, so I always try to keep it a good mixture of uh, people from other companies like the competition and then people that came up for the organization. What I found, though, is sometimes uh, people from uh, leaders from other organizations, they were just in different cultures and um, and they had different ways that they did business. So they might be skilled. They might be a skilled engineering manager, but the way that they approached uh, the way they treat people, which was acceptable in their their the company they came from is not acceptable in our company. And so cultural differences is something that I ran into a lot as I brought in people from other organizations. So I do think it's a part important part that your leadership team has a good mixture of of of, of people from the outside and people who come up through through the ranks. But um but be careful that they because they they come in with their own set of norms that they use for years where they came from. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't fit. And you'll hear them, say, you'll, those people, you'll hear them say this a lot. Well, back where I come from, we do it this way. Well, back where I came from, we do it this way. And you hear that all the time. And you're like, okay, that's great. Why, why are you here then? You know, are you interested in learning about the way we do things here? Right, you know, right. And so that's something that we just have to watch out for. Is can they fit in? Is their, their culture they came from going to be similar enough to the culture they're coming into? And uh, will that, and that's part of the fit uh, equation too. Yeah, one of the things that you talked about with uh, Ken Blanchard on your on your show, it, it was a, a trust quote, and I, I love this mm-hmm. quote. I wanted to repeat it because it kind of goes into what we're talking about here. It says, "The opposite of trust is not distrust; it's control." And yes. I thought, what a fantastic quote because it's so true. And a lot of times when you are hiring for management, sometimes people just are control freaks, right? They just want to do it a certain way that they've, they're comfortable with, that they've done in the past, but they're not exuding trust in their team because they're doing it a certain way. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, no, that's a, it's a big, it's a big challenge. And, um, and that's a, that's part of the culture I was talking about. You know, they come from a culture where, you know, if that individual comes from a culture where everything was controlled, the manager, uh, you know, kept his uh, uh, kept his authority tight to the to the vest and didn't delegate authority. You got to come to me for approval for every step into the project, and so that's what they're used to where they came from. We come here, and we're like, no, no, we don't do that here. We we delegate authority to our people, and you know, and and it, it's hard for them to fit into that because they think, well, I'm putting my career at risk if I let my people you know, make decisions on their own. Right. So Mm. that's a great example of where, where they came from may not fit with what the culture is in your, your, uh, your, your business. But, but now I think that's a great quote and I've seen it time and time again, especially in the corporate world where they say, 
employees are our greatest asset. We trust you. We, we empower you to make decisions. And then what do they do? They make you fill out an expense report for a $20 item, right? Uh, you bought a, you bought a mouse, uh, you know, for your new computer and, uh, and you, where's your expense report? I got to get the details. You know, there's, there's zero trust when it comes to an expense report, right? It's got to be, I want you know, I got to get approval. You, you have certain limits and very much uh, tight control. And you're like, well, do you really trust me? You know, do you really, you know, care about me if, if you, you know, you're giving me a hard time about a, a mouse. And so little things like that tell people that the leadership doesn't trust you, you know? So that's why I said, I, I really like that quote because the opposite of, trust isn't distrust, it's control. When you're controlling everything, every aspect of your employees' lives, um, it says you don't trust them. You're sending the signal you don't care, you know? Gorbachev and Reagan, uh, you know, (laughs) they would say, yes, we trust each other, but it's trust, but verify, right? And there was some Russian saying that they would, they would use, um, trust, but verify. I think that's, that's key, you know, like checking the numbers, making sure that you're getting reports, making sure as a, as a business owner, you know, what's going on so that you can, I, I, for me, it's, it's more like, so I can feel comfortable, you know, so that I can feel okay with what's going on and not just, you know, there's no surprises. If, If you've got numbers on a regular basis, or if you've got reports on a regular basis, then you know what's going on. Um, and that's, I, I think, a difficult hurdle, you know, like that was one of those hurdles that was, that was tough for me, especially when running my own business and I started bringing on new people and I was afraid, okay, well, they're not going to do things exactly like me. Okay. I've, I've got to set, set that in my mind, right? I've got to be okay with that. And then beyond that, like, how do I know that they're actually doing a decent job? How do I know that everything's going okay? And I did that through, you know, customer surveys and things like that to try to pull in some data so that I would know what was going on. But it's it's a tough hurdle when you're it, when you're it, starting it, to hire. It really people. is a tough hurdle because as I interview a lot of people and I ask them, you know, what are you looking for out of a manager or what are you not looking for out of a manager? One of the first things they'll say is, I don't want a micromanager. Yeah. Like almost, almost to a T that's the first thing out of their mouths when they say, you know, what are you looking for? What are you not looking for out of a manager? They say, I don't want a micromanager. I don't want to work for somebody like that. And I think it's kind of like at this point, kind of an old school style that, you know, in today's society, today's work environment, um, you know, people want the freedom to produce and innovate. And, you know, as Russ is saying, you're going to have your reports to see whether, you know, their production levels are, you know, hitting standards or above standards. So you're going to know whether they're actually pulling it off or not. But they don't want somebody looking over their shoulder all the time. It's just not what everybody wants nowadays. Yeah. But it's interesting. I was just going to say one thing. One thing is interesting, though, when you take that dynamic, because you hear that a lot, you know, micromanager. I, I don't want to work for a micromanager. And. So there's an opposite end of that spectrum, and that's what I call the absent leader. So the 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 guy that or or gal that is that is not present, that is completely disconnected from the business. And people don't like that either. So on one end is the control freak, right? Where you feel like they don't trust me. And on the other side is the absent leader that says they don't care about me. So I love uh, Jocko Willink wrote a book called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And and he says that leadership is a balance. And I love that because it really is um, part of our job as a leader is to find that right balance. Where do we fit in that spectrum of control and absence? 
because both are bad. And yeah. so we've got to find where we can fit on that spectrum, which, 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 and again, going back to what leadership is, is motivating people towards a goal. How are our people motivated? Where do we need to be on the spectrum? And by the way, each employee is slightly different, right? Some need yeah. the control. Some want the control. Some, please let me know what to do next, right? They want to know that. And others are like, let me go. I, I know what to do. Just give me some freedom. So it's interesting because we're on that spectrum all the time. And and I would say being an absent leader is is just as bad as being a micromanager. They're both bad. And we've got to find ourselves on that spectrum. And and that's that that book that Jocko uh, wrote opened my eyes to the idea that everything, almost every leadership characteristic is a spectrum of which extremes are bad. And we've got to find the right balance in between. It's tough sometimes to learn everybody on your team and what they're doing. And in big organizations, it's impossible when you've got 250, 350 people. You've been in that seat of having large companies like that, and you can't get to know the individual. How does that change the way that you lead the entire organization? That that's really hard. It really is hard. I have to say, I I am very good with, with 150, 200 employees. I'm, that's my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. When I get I've had up as much as 600 employees. And at that point, I don't know everybody's name. I don't know their story. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I can't have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them as many people as I'd like. So that's actually a challenge in leadership. And that's where having leaders working for you that, that have those right characteristics, that have the value set that you have, that's a really important thing because Unfortunately, you have to delegate a lot of the leadership to your leadership team. You're not going to get a chance to have regular uh, monthly uh, discussions with your employees, like all employee meetings and and uh, and having one-on-one -on -one meetings and walking the shop floor. Although I did it as much as I could because I had multiple plants uh, at one point in my career and I traveled to the plants. I'd always be traveling and always be there and I'd always try to walk the shop floor, but I didn't know people's names and it was like, ah, oh, I've I've seen you before, but I'm like, mm. is it Mark? Is it Tony? And it, it's like, right. it drove me crazy because in a, in a smaller company or a smaller team, I would know their names. I know their wives' names. I know their birthdays. I know something about them, their hobby or something. But when a big company, you don't have that. So it's hard to have that personal connection. So that's why you have to have leaders working for you that have those personal connections. And the other thing is, is can, you can cheat a little bit. Like before I walk on the shop floor, I'm saying, uh, Who's that guy in first shift that's always really friendly to me? He's over in that area. I just can't remember. <laughs> right. Tony. You know, that's Big Tony. We call him Big Tony. I'm like, all right, Big Tony. Big Tony. I don't remember yeah. If you throw in the Big <laughs> Tony and not just Tony, it just added to that that connection level right there. Right, right. So, so you know, you have to cheat a little bit um, when you're in that higher level because you don't really know everybody. And, um, and then the other thing is your interactions are typically shorter. So... I, I I tend to try to listen more than talk because, uh, you know, they only get a few little little bit of time with you. So because you're always so busy when those kind of roles. So I would always not say a lot. Like, hey, how you doing? You're like, what do you what do you do here? You know, I just I let them talk and yeah. Uh, and I think that was a better better than than they don't want to hear from me. <laughs> they want to talk <laughs> about their story. And most people are most people want to tell their story. You know, and that's we this we talked about that earlier in the podcast is let people tell tell their story. And you don't have to dominate the conversation. You should be listening more than talking when you're having those little brief moments with employees. 
Yeah. And I also think on top of that, when you have that large organization, you obviously can't have 600, 700,000 different individual conversations. But if they got a sense that they know you a little bit more, yeah. right, then at least they have, they feel they have the connection to you. And then it's just the battle of, you know, you feeling you have the connection back. But if, if you're open and you're transparent about different things, they feel that at least they feel the connection towards you and they get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny because um, I was listening to Joe Rogan on his podcast the other day and he was talking about how we, uh, he was had Jordan Peterson on and they're both were talking about how like they're both famous and people come up to them. They're like, they know they're like, I'm a friend with you because I've been watching your stuff for mm-hmm. so many. And these guys are like, I don't even know you, you know? And so it's an uncomfortable position because they know you and you don't know them. So part of, Part of being that role is how do you make you how how do you make yourself available such to the point where people think they know you? Like, are you making right. regular video for right. all employees? Are you having all employee meetings? Are you is your face out there enough where people think that they know you or at least know what you stand for? And so then it's a matter of just trying to get to know them when you're out in the shop floor and you're you know in the call center or if you're walking around the offices, then it's they sort of know you and then you you try to get to know them. So. Uh, but but that's about being present as in that top tier position. And so how do you how do you get the word out to the you know do you have a regular weekly newsletter? Do you have an email that goes out? Do you have uh, a video thing that you do um, for employees? Uh, I've seen that being very effective. Um, where instead of just putting an email out every week is to do record a video, mm-hmm. just put a camera on and say, hey, this week, you know, I want to recognize this plant. They got a great number. This plant's working on this, and these guys have increased their safety. just want to really say I appreciate what you guys are working on. I'm going to be in this plant next week, and I'm going to stop by and say hi. So if you see me, stop me, say hi. I mean, yeah. that is like, oh, they're getting to know you. They're getting to know your personality. Even though you're having a one-way dialogue, you're talking to them through a camera and they get to know your face and your mannerisms and, you know, and uh, they can, they can learn from you from that perspective. So, but I would say this is that I'm, I, I never, I never felt like I've perfected leading at a high level like that. I always felt like I felt too, too much as like on a pyramid. I like to feel like I'm on the inverted pyramid that I'm there to support the teams and I'm there to help. But you get to the point where there's too many I don't know how to describe it, but too many helpers, too many people managing your schedule and you're, you don't get the chance to be really genuine yeah. and, and authentic with the people that you work with. And that's why I love the small business. Cause I can, I know my team, I know all of them and yeah. everything about them. And I, I love it. that's more for me. It's, it's, it's yeah. a better fit. Yeah. I, I, I'm totally on the same page there. I mean, I like having and knowing that I've had some sort of impact on my team members lives. You know, like to be able to mentor them in some way, help them grow a little bit, make, you know, take them to the next step on their career path, whether it's with the company that I'm at or somewhere else or whatever it is. I I like that feeling like that's makes me feel good. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I could do that in an organization of 500 people, a thousand people. That's not easy. Yeah. It's Uh, But in the I found the segue. I've been trying all interview this one and last one. So my segue here is to get to know you a little bit better. I'm going to ask you about the sub. <laughs> yes. All right. I've got two Absolutely. questions. I know, you know, we're, we're talking business here, but okay. You're under like water in this sub. How, how long were you actually underwater where like you're even not seeing daylight? So uh, the patrols typically lasted three months. Wow. So like a hundred days or so hundred and 110 days, roughly. Wow. And yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, and I did seven, seven of those uh, patrols. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got, so I got a follow up question to that. Is that mentally healthy for people that's, to like to not exactly what I was ask. sunlight <laughs> for three months? Have you ever met a submariner? We're not very mentally. <laughs> okay. <normal>. I mean, <laughs> no, we're, we're a crazy bunch of guys that go do that. I mean, they're, no, they're not normal. We're not normal. Um, it's not healthy. Uh, but yeah, but, but, but we all recognize mm-hmm. that, right? We were all kind of in it together. We were kind of in all in, you know, in this really bad spot together. So we really did our best to keep each other sane through the whole thing. And, and by the way, humor is a big part of submarine life. Sarcasm and humor <laughs> are very, very much run rampant nice. and they keep us sane as we, as we laugh about the crazy things that happen to us under right. the ocean. So yeah, it is tough. Um, you know, the set, what are the seasonal affective disorder where, you know, you don't get sunlight, you get depressed. Yeah. We don't have sunlight. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's literally fluorescent lights and humming fans for wow. three months. I mean, you just like, like I'm telling you, you submariners, we laugh about this, but if the fans ever go off that you could make any noise in the world, we could sleep through it. But when the fans turn off, we go, what just happened? Oh, right. yeah. Because the fan, the, the sixty cycle hum of fans and, and air being moved around the sub that you just get used to. It's white noise, and when that goes away, like when we have a failure or something, they go away. We panic. We're like, "Holy yeah. cow, what just happened?" You know. But yeah, <laughs> in, really the, in the last podcast too, you talked about like fire drills, right, and running towards the fire, mm-hmm. and how that sort of became. And I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but that sort of became like. It was like, oh, okay, it's just another drill. It's fine, and and you you, you were sort of comfortable with those drills, uh, panicking with the fans. Um, what other times when you were in the sub were you just a, a little more than than panicked? Well, you know, we had this thing uh, where we um, this is really wild that they would do this. I well, to this day, I didn't. I still think it's kind of cool. So one of the things they do to, to prove that your weapons, your nuclear weapons actually work is that you, they will pull you. They say, all right, come on into port. We're like, what? I'm like, come into port. All right, you come into port. And they take the warheads off four of your missiles. And they say, go back out to sea. We're like, okay. And you shoot four of your missiles without the warheads oh, wow. on them. Oh. And uh, I remember thinking, <laughs> this is a stupid thought. Like, I hope they got the right yeah. four. <laughs> oh, so, so there's some with nukes still on them. Oh, no, no, oh, the rest still have their warheads. What are you shooting like, at, though? You have to be careful here. What, what are you shooting <laughs> at during this practice uh, shots? We, we shoot them off into a place in the ocean where we have a target. Uh, well, it's, it's a retrieval ship out in the middle of the Atlantic, and we fire these missiles, and they go like to the other side of the Atlantic wow. ocean. I mean, this is, these are long shots Whoa. and, uh, and we have retrieval ships on the other side that, you know, the, the we tr- trace the telemetry t- telemetry and all that. But the goal of these tests is to prove the accuracy of the missiles that, it, that, so a missile that's been on our boat for years would actually, we could act, we could actually say it, it will do what it said it was going to do. So we actually fire them to prove that they're still capable. So the rest of the Missiles in the tube are still were proving their capability, but I just mm. remember thinking, and I was the missile officer too. <laughs> I was the one pulling the trigger. I'm like, I really hope they got the right. <laughs> yeah, like, because you know, I mean, oh, did, did the man. missile ever miss the target? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a very famous picture. Yeah, I know. It's like I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, a very famous picture. If you if you look it up, it, it was actually my boat, the USS Tennessee. Uh, it was one of the first early shots of a Trident 2D5 missile. Go look it up. It's really quite cool. It came out of the ocean like it's supposed to. And then when the rocket launched, 
there was something wrong with the the guidance system, I guess, and it just did spiral spirals. And there's photographs of this. It, you look up the, the USS Tennessee missed missile or or crazy missile launch, <laughs> and it just it, and it and it fell back wow. into the ocean. So uh, yeah, and you know, again, what if that had a, you know obviously it didn't have a warhead on it? But, yeah, but you know, that still, a I would think too. I mean, <laughs> and and just thinking about okay, you've got the hum of the fans, but when you shoot one of these missiles out of it, like what is that sound? Is that just deafening inside the sub? Oh, that that is the. I tell you what, it was it's the pinnacle of your career when one of those things go off because you're literally launching a rocket that goes into space from a submerged submarine at sea. It's the it's the coolest if you can imagine. So it it was underneath the the missile tube, and so that would fire off at a ro- rocket motor and would push. It would force the missile out of the tube to the surface, and then the and then the missile would take off from there. So. But this, uh, so so they fire off this one rocket inside the submarine, so it's very loud. This thing goes off. But then when the sub, you can't, I mean, you're, you're submerged at this point. When that missile breaks the surface, you hear the actual roar of the real rocket taking off. So you can imagine you're, you know, like at a NASA launch, yeah, you're like, you yeah. know, miles away from the launch. You are, you are like hundreds of feet oh, away from this thing going off. Oh, I mean, obviously man. there's a metal. Yeah, you still. There, but it, it's. It's cool. And it's like you're like front row seats to a rocket taking off. It's it's pretty wild. I mean, it's muffled through the through the water and the hull of the ship, but you definitely wow. can hear it. And it's the power is uh, massive. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty wild thing. So in my time uh, on board, I was involved with four shots. Four, four missile shots, not not with any warheads on it, but and um, yeah, that was those are some really cool experiences. Oh man, the sub talk. I could I feel like I could do this all day. Greg, can we change? The name of the show here, and just we, we just do sub talk from now on because <laughs> I think we need to. Russ. I mean, it's it's fascinating. Uh, but what's also fascinating is uh, John's interview with uh, Ken Blanchard on his uh, previous show, when it goes into his book, The Simple Truths of Leadership. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I really do encourage you know you business owners, business leaders. Uh, it's a really good book and you don't have to read it in one sitting, just take it and read, read one chapter a week and you've got a year's worth of reading and, um, it's really easy to read, easy to follow. And, you know, and again, I would say this is the same thing with what frustrates Ken Blanchard, although he would never say it, but is that we want, he wants to see people put the stuff into action. So read the book, put these things into action, and you'll be a better leader. And I, it's a phenomenal book. It, it, the, the best compliment I can ever give a book is that it, to say, I wish I had wrote that because it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on our show again, John. Yeah, we had so much fun. That The time really flew uh, during this conversation. I love it. We're definitely going to have you on again. And for our listeners out there, if you haven't checked out John's podcast, Deep Leadership, you have to check it out. It is fantastic. Uh, You know, he interviewed Ken, but he's had wonderful interviews with a lot of uh, leaders in the leadership environment. So uh, check out the show, Deep Leadership. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. And uh, keep, keep up the great work. I love this podcast. It's one of my favorites. It's on my regular playlist. Uh, I've subscribed and I encourage other people to do ah, as Thank well. you so much. Yeah, John. thanks a lot, John. Take care. Yeah, we need all of our guests to start saying that. <laughs> 
All right. Hey, thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business, a part of the best business network and Electrocast Media, where you can find other great podcasts like John's Deep Leadership. Be sure to check that out and click the link in the description to do so. The subjects that we cover on this podcast are selected with the goal of helping your business grow. All of the information provided is opinion-based, and you may want to consult a professional to discuss your exact business situation. Greg and I want your business to succeed, and we are happy to take your questions. We would also love to hear your suggestions for future episodes. If there's an area where you need solid business advice or help, let us know. We might be able to build an entire episode around it and get your questions answered. You can reach out to us by sending us a direct message on Twitter or LinkedIn, or you can also visit our website at diyforbusinesspodcast.com. Both of those links are in the podcast description. We also love talking to business owners. So if you would like to reach out to us, join us on a show, talk about your business, please also do click those links and reach out to us. We thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Hey, I'm Ashley D., a media entrepreneur, mother of three, and a woman of God. Through my podcast, Spiritually Restored, I discuss various topics about life, love, purpose, and healing while bringing messages through the Word of God, prophetic dreams, and testimonies from myself and my guest hosts. Catch a new faith-filled message every Wednesday on the Voices of Faith podcast network through Electrocast. See you there. Electrocast. Electrocast.